today on In Spirit and Truth with Pastor J.D. Farag. Israel was to be, for the glory of God, a witness to the Gentile nations. They were to get the attention of the people onto their gods so that the Gentile, the pagan nations, would look at Israel and those sashes and those people and say, what kind of God is it that they serve? These people bring glory to God. You're listening to In Spirit and Truth with Pastor J.D. Farag of Calvary Chapel, Kaneohe. Pastor J.D. is currently teaching through the book of Jeremiah. What ways might God be looking to set you apart? In today's teaching, Pastor J.D. will look at the example of the Israelites and highlight how pride often capped their potential to represent God well. May we be in tune with the Holy Spirit enough to know when and how God might be wanting to showcase Himself in and through us. Now, be sure to stay with us after today's message to hear how you can get your own copy of today's broadcast. Subscribe to the In Spirit and Truth podcast or download the In Spirit and Truth iPhone or Android mobile app. But for now, here's Pastor J.D. in the book of Jeremiah chapter 13 with today's edition of In Spirit and Truth. Sometimes God deems it appropriate to use the dramatic, the visual, in order to communicate a truth that is not being received when that truth is communicated using only words. Real quick, one more thing on this before we move on. Think about Jesus in the Gospels. How much imagery did he use? I think about Matthew 6, one of my favorite of all, well-known, the sermon that he preached. And he uses the visual illustrations of the birds in the air and the flowers of the field. And he's using that visual so that they would understand what just saying the words may not get across. You see that bird? Imagine him, for those of you that have been to Israel with us, it's affectionately known as the Mount of Beatitudes. There on the hillside, the Sea of Galilee below. I mean, it's beautiful, it's stunning, it's breathtaking. Especially in the springtime, can you imagine? There they are, and he's pointing to these birds. He's going, look at those birds. Do you see them freaking out and fretting and worrying and fearing about what they're going to eat? Do you see them over here building these barns and stuffing them full of worms for next month? No. They're singing. Why? Because your heavenly Father feeds them. And they're not even created in the image of God you are. How much more valuable are you? That's a visual. And every time they would see birds, they would be reminded of that. Same thing with those flowers in the field. Look at the lilies of the field. Look how beautiful they are. The splendor of their colors, even Solomon wasn't clothed as majestically and beautifully as these flowers. And here's the thing, they're going to be here today and thrown into the fire tomorrow, gone tomorrow, and yet your heavenly Father clothes them. How much more valuable are you than they are? 
I'll tell you right right then, I, I would never look at a flower the same again. And I would never worry about ever having something to wear again. You know, back then, you were considered wealthy if you had more than one set of clothes to wear. If you had a wardrobe, you were considered wealthy. Have you ever thought about this? Moths will not eat holes in clothes that you're wearing. I know that's deeply profound. The moths will eat the ones that are being stored, that you're not wearing, that you don't need. Again, God will use the theatrical, the visual, the dramatic, the demonstrative, the animated. He'll go to this extent, if that's what it takes. Thus says the Lord, verse 9, in this manner I will ruin the pride of Judah and the great pride of Jerusalem. This evil people who refuse to hear my words, who follow the dictates of their hearts and walk after other gods to serve them and worship them, shall be just like this sash, which is profitable for nothing. Now again, let's just go back to the comparison. If Jeremiah would have just spoken about this sash, and not gone through all that he went through with this sash, do you think they would have had and gotten and learned the lesson of the sash? Judah, I know you've been wondering about my new sash and where I went and what in the world I came back and now it's good for nothing. You're the sash. You're going to be taken captive to the very place I took that sash. You have become useless, unprofitable, good for nothing. You're ruined like this sash. Why? Pride. The pride of Judah. The sash is ruined. Judah is ruined. What ruined the sash? The great bride. Notice the delineation between Judah and the great bride of Jerusalem. The pride of Judah and the great bride of Jerusalem. I mean it almost sounds like the understatement of the century when you say it like this, but pride ruins everything. See, here's the other thing. That uh, sash, it was a testimony that would bring glory to bring the attention to God. So now it's been ruined. The testimony's been ruined. What ruined that testimony slash sash? Pride. Pride ruined it. Now it's unprofitable. It's profitable for nothing. It's good for nothing. By the way, getting back to this whole dramatic, theatrical, wow, that's really quite a bit to get across that point. Well, listen, it just shows you the extent, as we're going to talk about in a moment, to which God will go because of His love for us. God will do whatever it takes. 
But he did something similar, almost more dramatic with Isaiah. How about Hosea, the prophet? How about Ezekiel? The things that they did to illustrate dramatically, it was a a dramatic theatrical illustration and demonstration to get their attention. That's what he's doing here. He wants to get their attention. He's got their attention. Their attention's on that sash, and now he's brought it home. He's driven the point home. You're the sash. It's ruined. Pride ruined you. For as the sash, verse 11, clings to the waist of a man, so I have caused the whole house of Israel and the whole house of Judah to cling to me, says the Lord, that they may become my people for renown. Listen, for praise and for glory. But they would not hear. See, Israel was to be for the glory of God, a witness to the Gentile nations. They were to get the attention of the people onto their God, so that the Gentile, the pagan nations, would look at Israel and those sashes and those people and say, what kind of God is it that they serve? These people bring glory to God to give all the credit to God. All the attention is drawn to God. But they've ruined it. They've marred it. Because see, I wanted you to be that sash that cling to me, that adorn me, that brought glory to me, that brought praise to me for renown that would bring people to me. This is the takeaway. There's many takeaways, but to me this is the main takeaway. We as believers are to humbly cling to the Lord for the glory of the Lord, so that when people see our sashes, it glorifies God. What if I said it this way? The purpose of your marriage is to glorify God. The purpose of your business is to glorify God. The purpose of your job, your career, is to glorify God. The purpose of your life is to glorify God. What does that mean? That means in everything you do, God is magnified. The attention is not on you. You're not glorifying yourself. No flesh will glory in His presence. Even the priests in their service in the tabernacle and subsequently the temple, they had to cover all their flesh symbolically. And they could not wear wool because that would cause perspiration. That's the flesh. I want no flesh. Those robes that you wear as priests, I want to cover every single bit of your flesh so that when you step up to the altar, nothing shows. I don't want to see any flesh. No flesh will glory in my presence. 
Do not take the glory for yourself, the credit for yourself. Draw the attention to yourself. No, it belongs to the Lord and to the Lord alone. He is the one worthy of all of the praise, all of the glory, all of the honor. And that is the purpose of our lives. And this was the purpose of Israel. We're going to see this next. They did not fulfill their purpose. And in a word, the reason why they did not fulfill their purpose, in a word, pride. Verse 12, here comes another illustration. Therefore, you shall speak to them this word. Thus says the Lord God of Israel, every bottle shall be filled with wine. And they will say to you, come on. Well, they're not going to say come on, but do we not certainly know that every bottle will be filled with wine? That's a firm grasp of the obvious. That's the purpose of the bottle. It is fulfilling its purpose when it's filled with wine. Then you shall say to them, verse 13, thus says the Lord, Behold, I will fill all the inhabitants of this land, even the kings who sit on David's throne, the priests, the prophets, and all the inhabitants of Jerusalem, with drunkenness. And, verse 14, I will dash them one against another, even the fathers and the sons together, says the Lord. I will not pity, nor spare, nor have mercy, but will destroy them. Wow. So, like with the sash ruined for its purpose, so too are the bottles broken for their purpose, which is what God would have to do. He doesn't want to do it. He has to do it. Do what? Oh, He has to break the proud. He has to break the proud. Brokenness. The stiff-necked, the obstinate, I often refer to a very powerful booklet, really not book so much, but kind of a devotional by Roy Hessian titled The Calvary Road. And he draws a very interesting example in there. And he got it from some missionaries about snakes and worms. And the illustration goes something like this. You you step on a worm and it breaks. And by the way, some worms, they, they actually grow back. Now you step on a snake, it ain't going to break. What's that snake going to do? It's going to hiss back and fight back and bite back. I think we're more like the snake than we're willing to admit, and less like that worm that breaks easily. We devalue broken things, don't we? We throw away things that are broken and replace them, right? 
But not in God's economy. God values brokenness. God is close to the brokenhearted, those of a contrite spirit. He resists the proud. He breaks the proud. He humbles the proud. He exalts the humble. When we're humble, we're more like Christ than at any other time. And conversely, when we're proud, we're more like Satan than any other time. To be humble is to be Christ-like. And by the way, the reason why the bottles had to be broken in this illustration and analogy, and the reason why the sash had to be ruined in this analogy and illustration, is because, like with us, when we're full of pride, we have to be broken. We are ruined. We are unprofitable. We are good for nothing. Let me take it a step further, and I want you to think this through with me. You know, we're actually dangerous when we're proud and unbroken. Example, David. He was a danger, wasn't he, to Uriah the Hittite after he committed adultery with Bathsheba. And it wasn't until God broke him by sending Nathan the prophet And he just broke, and he crumbled to the ground, and he repented. And God restored him, and God forgave him. It's okay to be uninterested in listening to unbroken people. Let me say the same thing in a different way. If I'm listening to a Bible teacher, and there's no brokenness, It has no impact. And I find myself struggling because it's the Word of God. The Word of God doesn't return unto me void. We learned that in Isaiah. I mean, God's going to honor the teaching of His Word. All a pastor has to do is just get up and read the Word. But there's just something missing. And when you can't quite put your finger on it, and if you're open to it, the Lord will reveal to you that There's not been a brokenness yet. And so if you're uninterested, it's okay, because they're unbroken. God can't use unbroken people. I am unusable like that sash. I am unprofitable. God has to break me before He can use me. God has to break me before He can bless me. You will never see in Scriptures the blessing preceding the breaking. Ask Jacob about that one. He wrestles with the Lord all night long. You talk about strong will. I mean, you're wrestling with the Lord, demanding that the Lord bless you all night wrestling. I would be exhausted after about 45 seconds, I'm done. Okay, you in. All night! And the Lord's like, Jacob, I want to bless you, but I can't bless you till I break you. And he touched his hip, and he broke him. And he was never the same again. Because now you're broken. And oh, now I can use you, because now you're broken. 
brokenness always precedes the blessing. And I'll take it even further and say that the blessing is proportionate to the brokenness. And brokenness, in a sense, is synonymous with humility. When God breaks you and God humbles you and God ruins you for Him, now you're usable for Him. Because see, He was too strong in His own strength for me to use. I couldn't use Him. I want to use Him, and apparently He wants me to use Him. So we're, we're good on that. But the only problem is he doesn't realize, I'm talking about Jacob slash JD here, he doesn't realize that we both want the same thing, but he doesn't know about the fine print. (laughs) I want to bless you, I want to use you, but I have to break you. And proportionate to the breaking is the blessing, and proportionate to the breaking is the using. I'm now useful and profitable. God can use me because God values brokenness. God loves broken things because, see, God, as only He can, can take that which is broken and use it for His glory. Only He gets the glory. Hear verse 15 and give ear. Do not be proud. I mean, we could just close the Bible study right there. we got more chapter left, so we can. For the Lord has spoken. And here it is again, and please don't miss this. Notice the repetitive nature of this word glory. Here it is again. Give glory to the Lord your God. You're not giving me the glory. You're full of pride, and you're taking the glory for yourself. Give glory to the Lord your God, verse 16, before He causes darkness, and before your feet stumble on the dark mountains, and while you are looking for light, He turns it into the shadow of death, and makes it dense darkness. Okay, here's a picture for you. Let's use our God-given imagination. This is not me. I'm not an outdoors kind of guy. Let's just say you're hiking and, and it's starting to get dark now. And you're kind of like doing the math and realizing that if I don't turn around, I'm, I'm going to get lost. That's what he's saying. You're going to stumble in the dark. And this is what pride does, right? It blinds. Ask Samson about that. It pulls the darkness over your eyes, the wool over your eyes. That's what the Lord is saying here. This is what's so insidious about pride. I liken it to a very sophisticated computer virus. It's so, it's so sophisticated that if you get it on your computer, it disables the antivirus software you have. That's what pride does. It disables that detection, that anti-pride software in your life so that you're completely blind to it. You don't even see it. 
That's what the Lord is saying here. We are so glad you joined us for this edition of In Spirit and Truth with Pastor J.D. Throughout this book, the prophet Jeremiah is speaking words that God has given him, warning the Israelite nation that judgment is sure to come. But the people don't want to hear it. They'd rather carry on in their revelry, living their best life now. If you've noticed, there's a mentality of that in today's culture, too. Don't you dare give anyone warning about the red flags in their life. They're just taking that idea of eat, drink, and be merry and running with it. Unfortunately, these warnings in Jeremiah weren't heeded. and That's how it can be today as well, as God gives fair warning about what's to come in the future. But are you prepared for what God's warnings are? Have you taken heed to what he speaks and teaches about in his word? These aren't just mentioned as a side note. Everything in God's word is intentional and has a purpose. If you'd like to know more about what this all means, we encourage you to go to our website, calvarychapelkaneohe.com. There, you'll find the ABCs of salvation under the resources tab. This provides an in-depth overview of what it means to believe that Jesus died for your sins and that he can save you from a life and eternity without him. If you're in the area and would like to connect with some others in person about this, we invite you to join us at Calvary Chapel Kaneohe. You can find directions at our website, calvarychapelkaneohe.com. We hope you'll join Pastor J.D. for the next edition in Jeremiah, here on In Spirit and Truth.